Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, head to isuencounter.org or download our student app to learn about all that's happening here. Thanks for listening. Taylor Swift weekend here at Little Galilee. <laughs> wow. Some very different uh, responses to that. That was interesting. How'd you sleep? I heard Ben ask that and that you all are liars. And so I really hope, I hope you slept well. Um, last night, as you continued to process, I hope that what came to the forefront of your hearts and your minds as you continue to spin was that God loves you a lot. The gospel story never gets old. It never gets old. And a lot of times, I think in in churches, especially maybe kind of our our brand of church, we, we truncate the gospel. We talk about the cross, which is, yes, that's penultimate. And we talk about um, the fact that Jesus came to die for our sins, which he did, and that he rose from the dead, which he did, and that someday we'll go live with him forever in heaven. But I, I think we often don't go all the way back to the beginning And so part of last night was to take us back to the beginning of our story, which is essentially the beginning of everything, right? And how incredible is it that that God has no beginning and that God didn't create because he was bored and didn't create because he was lonely. He had perfect relationship, Father, Son, and, and Spirit. For all eternity, that way and that way, out of love, out of, out of relationship, he created. And he called everything good, even the sloth, right? And, but um, when it came to mankind, humanity, man and woman, he said, oh, this is very good. Because what's different is that we are created in his image. That means everybody you pass on the way to class is created in the image of God. They are image bearers. You are an image bearer. Say, I'm an image bearer. bearer. Turn to the person on your left and your right and say, you're an image bearer. Yeah. Monday morning, you're on your way to class. You, you pass somebody, and they are, you know, on their phone, and you just say, good morning, image bearer. <laughs> that might be a little weird, but that's the reality, that everybody has this implicit dignity, everybody on planet Earth. And that changes how we perceive not only ourselves, but that changes how we perceive one another, that we can assume that God is up to something in everyone's life, whether they know it or not. 
And all we're doing is coming alongside what God is already doing. How cool is that? The response would be, that's really cool. Good. Last night, what's your story? This morning is what's your context? Acts 1-8 works for both. You will be my witnesses. Tell your story. On whatever page you are, I appreciated what Ben shared last night, that as we tell our story, um, it's, not a, it's not a one surfacey, and it's not a ten depths, you know. We need to do that with somebody, but not with everyone. But we do, we do share from the perspective and the page and the context that we're in. And so... You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so today I want to talk about those concentric circles. Starting in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What's our version of that? What's the, the concentric circles of our campus? What are the concentric circles of your friend group? What's your concentric circle of your church ministry? Okay. I know we just prayed, but can we pray again? Can we open our hands? Father, whatever we're hanging on to today, by your grace, would you, um, if you have to, pry our fingers away. (laughs) We want to do that willingly. We want to surrender. We want to be open to what you have. So we can receive. And so whether we are hanging on to um, situations at home, at school, whether we're hanging on to distractions, whether we're hanging on to this test we have on Tuesday, whether we're hanging on to deep pain, we offer all of that to you. Thank you that all of life is worship. And all of our life is devoted, is given to you. And so we want to receive what you have. Jesus, you said, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're saying basically, Jesus, um, give me everything that you have and I'll give you everything that I have and we'll call it even. That is such not a fair trade. But that's grace, and we are thankful for it today. So in grace, we want to dive into your word. In grace, we want to receive what you have for us. In grace, we want to give you permission to do your work, to challenge and stretch and encourage. Do all the stuff that you do, Holy Spirit. And we'll give you, Jesus, Father, Spirit, all the glory for who you are and what you're up to and the mind-blowing reality that you are allowing us to participate. Bless this time, and we pray in your name. Amen. (coughs) Book of Acts. You see Acts 1-8 played out in the rest of the book of of, of Acts. 
Acts 2, day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes in power. The disciples are filled with the Spirit. They go out on the, on the streets. They start proclaiming in the languages of the people that have been assembled there from all over the world. It was a gospel moment. Peter delivers this amazing sermon. It says the people are cut to the heart. They're moved, moved to action. And they said, what do we do? And he said, repent, be baptized. And about 3,000 of them were. It was a big day. And that was the launch of the church. And so you get to the end of chapter 2, verse 42. And they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Reverential, reverential awe came over everyone. And many wonders and miraculous signs came about by the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had everything in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and distributing to the, their proceeds to everyone as anyone had need. And every day, every day they continued to gather together by common consent in the temple courts, breaking bread from house to house sharing their food with glad and humble hearts, praising God and having the good will of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number every day those who were being saved. How cool is that? Very cool. Very cool. Good. We got the response going here. That's great. It is very cool. Man, there's so much packed in that, right? This is life together as the church, as the body of Christ. And we can romanticize it, and we can even idolize the church in Acts. We just need to get back to the book of Acts. Well, yeah, but it's a different context. It's a different time. And it was way messy if you read on. <laughs> but there's also this beauty and simplicity to it, that they were just doing life with Jesus together. And it had ramifications on every part of their life. Their income, their wallet, their time, their affections, their priorities. And the church grew daily. And then you get to the end of, of Acts 4, and you see that the group of those who believed were of one heart and mind, and they sold their possessions and the, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection. Great grace was upon them all. Chapter 6, there's a corrective. You know, they've got all of these people that are gathered in, in a lot of poverty. And so the Greek-speaking widows were saying, we're not being taken care of very well. And so the, the leaders of the church pivoted and said, we have to address physical needs as well as spiritual needs. In Acts chapter 8, persecution breaks out. Stephen becomes the first martyr, and the church is scattered. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which, where they had been for a few chapters, and now suddenly they're scattered all over, right? Judea and Samaria. Philip goes to Samaria. Amazing things happen in Samaria, also, he finds himself walking away from this very successful ministry in Samaria because the Lord prompted him to go talk to one person. 
He left the hundreds, maybe the thousands, to go talk to the one. It's very Jesus-like. <laughs> and this one happened to be from Ethiopia. And he was riding in his chariot. He had been to Jerusalem to worship, and he was on his way home. And he was reading from Isaiah in the chariot, which would be really difficult. You know, don't text and drive, but I mean, how do you read a scroll? Philip runs up beside him and says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? And so he hops up in the chariot with this Ethiopian. And he rides along. He comes alongside. And he starts with what the guy's been reading and connects the dots to Jesus. And then they pass by a little bit of water and the man says, there's water. What's preventing me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, nothing. So he baptized him. Chapter 10, we see the inclusive church. Peter has this vision that blows his mind because he thought he was just going to go speak, preach to the Jews. And Jesus says in this vision, no, nothing's unclean that I've made clean. Go to the Gentiles. You've got um, Paul and Barnabas commissioned to the Gentiles. And then we get to Acts 17, which is what Ben read last night. In Acts 17, Paul is in the city of, of Athens. I forgot, I've got slides. There we go, story. Yeah, you'll receive power. That was a good one. Here we go. Paul is in Athens, and He's having a conversation with people from various worldviews. In, in Athens, philosophy wasn't a two-hour credit. It was the way of life. You had this mixture of marketplace and commercial business and theaters and politics and philosophical debates and performers. It was like Harvard and Hollywood and New York time, New York and, and D.C. all rolled into one. So he went to the marketplace. This is the, the center. And he, he chose to like them. He chose to like them. And he was, he was very complimentary of a lot of parts of their culture. He found common ground. He used their language. He quoted their poets. He approached them philosophically. And he said, you are so hungry for some spiritual truth. Good for you. Can I, can I point you to the one that you're looking for? Everybody in every culture is looking for something or someone to save it, to rescue it, to give hope. And so there were shrines and there were temples and there were idols all over the place. And Paul said, let me give you the rationale for, for what you're looking for, for this search. Paul did not back down, didn't water down the resurrection. And that was the, the parting shot for a lot of them. But some were curious and wanted to hear more. Truth is not a sword to slash culture with. It is a bridge to build. To connect the dots. That, 
that means it's, we, we need to get away from us versus them mentality. We'll talk more about that tonight, but um, to recognize that a piece of art is beautiful because a piece of art is beautiful, not because it happens to be done by a Christian artist or not. That someone's act of service is sacrificial if the act of service is sacrificial. That someone's words are, can be truthful. That, like Paul, we can hum, humbly and gently ask, can I connect you with the author of that beauty? Can I connect you with the author of that sacrifice? Can I connect you with the author of that truth? To build bridges instead of, instead of planting landmines. We had some neighbors named Rick and Lynn. And they would get drunk every weekend. And it was really, really sad. But they also loved our neighbor Virgil really, really well. So we lived in the middle of Rick and Lynn and Virgil. And Virgil was a hard man to love. I mean, he was like 80-something. It changed every day, so we never knew exactly how old he was. But he had this vendetta against squirrels. <laughs> you too. Well, hopefully not to this extreme, because uh, Virgil would shoot squirrels. He would... First, he would trap them and have a heart trap. And then he would shoot them in the trap, which is, you know, not even giving the squirrel a fighting chance. And uh, he, I mean, he was always shooting his pellet gun. He, he, he hit our windows, you know, our, we'd bring our kids in. He was a lovely man, but he's just weird. But Rick and Lynn loved him really, really well. And Virgil got congestive heart failure. And we were, you know, trying to help. And we had littles and... But Rick and Lynn, every day, they were taking him to the doctor. They were feeding him. They were, you know, changing his bedpan. I mean, just loving him. And I, I caught Lynn out in the driveway one day. And I said, Lynn, I got to tell you, I, how you're loving Virgil is amazing. And she blushed a bit. I said, you're not going to want to hear this. We'd had lots of conversations about about faith and struggles and life. So you're not going to want to hear this, but how you are treating Virgil is so much like Jesus. She blushed a little more. She said, well, hell, I better stop it then, you know? But there was something in that moment that there was a connection of that there was something deeper going on in her that was prompting her beyond just being a good neighbor. What is your context? How are you connecting the dots? How are you building the bridges? How are you living out this story in a way that actually resonates with the people around you. John Stott put it this way. I think I have a slide for this. Nope. Sorry. I'll read it to you, though. Jesus calls his disciples to exert a double influence on the society. 
a negative influence by arresting its decay and a positive influence by bringing light into its darkness. It's one thing to stop the spread of evil. It's another to promote the spread of truth and beauty and goodness. Can we spot truth and beauty and goodness everywhere we see it? Can we help people connect the dots to the author of that? Searching for signs of life. Searching for the fingerprints of God that are stamped all over your campus, all over your city, all over your life. This verse. Paul says, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. Coming back from one of our mission trips, we were having a debrief meeting, and one of our students said, I think what strikes me is that it's easier to go halfway across the world than it is to go across the street. Why is it easier to raise a thousand bucks and jump on a plane and go halfway around the world than it is to go across the hall. I'm not saying that to shame us, but can we practice some curiosity with it, right? How can we be the church where we are? How can we better understand our context in order to build bridges of discipleship and mission? How can we go across the proverbial or the literal street? I want to pause here and have a time of reflection in the room. And I'm going to ask us to use our imaginations a bit. And so if it is easier for you to uh, think about your own context, just to to close your eyes, and um, depending on how much sleep you got last night, that might be a bad thing to do, to close your eyes. But I'm just going to lead us through some, some questions around your context. And if you want to journal, if you want to write some things down, there will be a couple places where I'm going to have you definitely write some things. And so if you've got your journal and a pen, um, get that out. But let's move from this kind of theological abstract to very pragmatic to your world, okay? You ready? Okay. I want us to reflect on the literal places that we find ourselves. Where do you live? And again, sorry to interrupt you, but we are trying to go beyond just the general into the specific. So where do you live? Picture it. Picture your dorm room, picture your apartment, picture your street. Where do you live? Where do you eat?
Picture the table. Do you, do you eat in a, a cafeteria most days? Are you on the, some sort of meal plan? If so, do you eat at a particular table? Do you grab a particular chair? What about in your own apartment or house? Where do you eat? Where do you exercise? Recreate. Picture it. What part of the gym, what part of the field? What classrooms do you walk in and out of each week? Picture going in the door, the setup of the seats. Where do you study? Where are your labs? What sidewalks do you take to get to those classes? What do you see from your vantage point? As you're walking, picture yourself walking to your class this coming Monday. What part of campus is it? What do you notice? Where do you frequent? Is there a particular coffee shop or restaurant or study table? Where do you, where do you buy groceries? What about people? Who do you see on a weekly basis? Picture their faces. Who do you see on a daily basis? Who do you have regular conversations with? What do you talk about? Narrow that down to just a couple people. What have they shared with you about their story? What are you curious about? What of your own story have you shared with them?
If you would, write the names of 10 people that you interact with on a regular basis. Knowing what you know about them, what you know of their story, what you know of their circumstances, the situation that they're in, what, what you know of their life, through the conversations that you've had, what you've observed already. Instead of labeling them Christian or non-Christian, think about whether you feel like, are, are they moving toward Jesus or away from Jesus? And can you just put an arrow one way or another? Are they, they moving toward him? Or are they moving away from, from him? This is a harder question, but what would they assume about you? Again, let's, don't let shame in the room, but let curiosity in the door. What would they assume about you and Jesus? Now, can we, can we zoom out a bit, okay? Again, we're using our imaginations, and so um, if you want to just kind of picture a drone shot, a mental flyover of campus, we want to move from individuals to, to groups of people or specific places, you know, athletics and, and dorms and classrooms, administration, where, where people are, are gathered. What else is God stirring in you about your campus? And if something comes to mind immediately, jot that down. If something doesn't come to mind immediately, then this is a place where we go back to our open-handed prayer and just ask, Lord, would you stir something? Would you put something in my mind and in my heart about my campus? A particular group of people, a particular place on campus that desperately needs your touch, your affection, your grace, your truth, your kingdom to come and to break in. Lord, would you stir something in me? Would you just place the, the picture, the snapshot of that in my mind right now? What are the places of brokenness, of loneliness, of injustice, of depression, of addiction?
Can you hold your hands out just for a moment and just pray this prayer out loud? The first part, we'll all pray together, and then you fill in the place or the people or the person at the end. And the prayer is, God, would you give me a vision for? And then you fill it in, okay? Let's, say that, let's pray that together. If you are, again, you have the freedom not to pray. If you're willing, let's pray it out loud. Ready? God, give me a vision for, and then that's where you say what, okay? But we're, we're going to do this out loud. Three people did. Good on you, three people. <laughs> Are you ready? You have something in mind? A certain place, certain people? God, Give me a vision for, yeah. Give me a vision for them. And by vision, we just mean a picture of what it would look like for God's kingdom to break in, for transformation to happen, for chains to be released, undone, broken, for loneliness to find family. For addictions to be done with them. God, give me a vision for this place. For these people. For this person. And then let's pray this out loud together. These words, God, would you help me be the answer to my prayer? Ready? God, would you help me be the answer to my prayer? <laughs> would you help me to participate in this vision of transformation and restoration? One more question just to ponder or to jot down, and that is, coming off of what we reflected on last night, how might the Lord want to use our own story, our own struggle of brokenness, loneliness, depression, addiction, trauma, you fill in the blank, in order to come alongside others? Again, he comes alongside us, he comforts us, he changes us, he transforms us so that we can come alongside someone else. I lied. One more question. Who's your team? Who, who carries the same sort of ache that you do? for this particular place or these particular people. If you, if you can name somebody or somebodies, jot their names down. Mm -hmm. 
Let me give you an example. We were praying uh, a few years ago, just in our campus ministry, um, these kind of open-handed prayers. And Lord, would you, would you show us some, some particular needs in our community, on our campus, in our world, and how we might do something about that? And so we had these two students that um, what was just stuck in their heads was food scarcity. And we have a, a large campus, 50,000 people, a lot of international students. There is a lot of food scarcity on our campus, which blew my mind. I had no idea. Because you see, you know, a lot of wealth, but some of these, some of these people are, are coming with nothing. And so um, we have a food pantry and trying to meet those needs. But these two guys said, you know, what is true is that we have these, these meal programs and you, you buy swipes. You buy 18 swipes a week or whatever and you use maybe 10 or 12 of those. And then at Purdue we have these on-the-go locations where it's basically a convenience store that just has a bunch of junk food and crap. And so, so people would, would use their extra swipes to go to the on-the-go location and just, you know, get a case of candy or something. <laughs> and, and that's how they used up their swipes. And so these two guys said, what if there was a way to use our extra meal swipes to actually feed the hungry? And they came up with this idea of called Swipe Out Starvation. And we worked for about two years with the university to have permission to do it because they make a ton of money off unused swipes. <laughs> so we convinced them that it would make them look good, and um, we did a pilot program. We made 5,000 swipe-out starvation cards and put them in the on-the-go on the locations, put some posters up around campus. They sold out in two days. The idea was you, do a, you give a swipe, you trade this card, and half the money goes to the local food bank, and half the money goes toward a place called Land of a Thousand Hills in Rwanda, which is feeding these, these, um, the, the poor in Rwanda. And uh, sold out in two days. Made 5,000 more, sold out in two days. So we went back to the university. These two students did and said, hey, it worked. What are you going to do about it? And they said, okay, we'll give you six, six days a year. And then the next year, it was, okay, we'll, we'll do like every Monday. And now it's every day. And tens of thousands of dollars have been given for food scarcity. But it started with an ache. It started with a close look at what is my context? What are the needs? Who are the people? And then who's my team? Who shares this? How can we together come alongside? Okay? So that's just an idea. Not that you need to go start a swipe out starvation campaign. What's your swipe out starvation? 
what's God stirring in you? Let me say a couple more things. I don't want to turn you loose to go do some reflection and some discussion. Um, how can we be attentive? Uh, I, I wear bifocals because I'm old. <laughs> ben and I were talking about this last night. It's like I need bifocals to read and I need bifocals to drive. And so when my, my youngest was little, he said, so... You can't see far away? I said, no. And you, can't, and you can't see up close? I said, no. He said, so you're blind? I said, not quite. But there is this sweet spot where I don't need glasses, you know. But uh, everywhere else, I need to be able to, to, to see up close. So as we're being attentive to the Spirit, who's up close? How can, how can we pray for our our friends, our, our administration, how can we come alongside in real circumstances? How can we connect them? How can we, how can we pay attention, uh, not to be creepy, but to kind of eavesdrop on some conversations and without people knowing just to start praying for them, right? So I was in our coffee shop. It's called Gray House. And overheard this conversation. This guy said, I've been lonely for the past five years. I mean, I've had friends, good friends, but there has been this loneliness that has lingered. When I was in high school, I thought if I could just get to college, everything will be okay. And then I got to college, and I keep thinking if I can just get out of college, everything will be okay. I can get a good job, life will be good. But I have this, he said this, I have this sneaking suspicion that I'm missing something. What is our time and place and space to listen and to love? How can we be nearsighted to the needs that are across the hall? And <coughs> how can we be farsighted to the whole of campus? What are the larger needs of your campus community? What are the places of neglect? What are the places of injustice? Who is falling through the cracks? What does it mean to have a vision for your campus? A couple quotes, and we'll send you out of here. I like this one. Rather than just inflate the church with people coming from the world, it's equally important to inflate the world with people coming from the church. We must make an impact for the gospel among people for whom coming to church would be the last stop on their list. Suppose for a moment that Christians saw it as their mission in life, not merely to be good church-going people, but light bearers, grace mongers, and peddlers of hope to a dark, screwy world. If you want a tattoo idea, there you go. Light bearers, grace mongers, and peddlers of hope. There's a good label for you. And Charlie Peacock said this, the church is not meant to be a retreat from culture, but instead called by God to shape it by virtue of its distinctiveness, its saltiness, its brightness.
How can we be the church where we are? How can we be attentive? Isaiah 43, I'm doing a new thing. Open your eyes. How can we open our eyes to what God's up to? Okay? Here's what I want to do. And tell me if this doesn't work time-wise. It's 11.14. Lunchtime is what? 12. How, how original. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I would like to give some space um, to kind of process, the, process this with Jesus, but also with some other people. And is that, can we go like to Tintel? Is that okay? Okay. All right. I want you to take a 15-minute walk and just ask Jesus, what do I do with this? What's my context? Whatever he was laying on your heart earlier about what is stirring, flesh that out a little bit with him. Okay? Set a timer because at exactly 11 33, 11.33, I want you to come to where your small group met last night. If your leader's not here for some reason, just somebody just can lead it, right? There are discussion questions up here. Don't, you won't have time to get through them all. Pick a couple, but just have a conversation together about what God is stirring in regards to place. All right, simple enough. 15 minute walk back here in your group by 11.33. Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.